Uh, so this message, this topic is near and dear to my heart and should be to all of yours, uh, especially for believers. Because nothing has the potential for joyous highs and meaningful, deep, wonderful celebrations. And at the same time, devastating lows and heartbreak and disappointment like gospel ministry. They can be both the highlight of your day and the highlight of your year or the hardest thing you'll ever have to go through. Because what is consistent in all gospel ministry is that we are sinners and you are ministering to other sinners. You celebrate with people at their best. You praise the Lord for conversion and for growth and for maturity. And you weep and you grieve when people are at their worst. And they are disobedient. And they are unrepentant. And they shake their fists at the Lord. So uh, this sermon will be inherently personal and practical because it is personal and practical for Paul. Um, There are lessons for us all in this. So uh, in lieu of your typical outline, uh, because I could not find an outline, this is uh, uh, Paul writing uh, about his co-laborers, you're going to have an insert in your bulletin uh, that has some lessons, and we're just scratching the surface. I could be here all day with the lessons that a passage like this can teach us, but just some some things that I want you to see. Um, Before we go any further, we must get a picture first and clarify what ministry is. Um, Because I think for most people, especially modern people, if you've been in a church for a while, you think what I do is ministry, and the rest of you are here to watch me do ministry. Um, that is a false picture. Uh, that is an unbiblical division between those who vocationally do ministry and all saints who do ministry. The church has a few officers, but it has many ministers. Uh, one of the first things I did when I got here, the, my uh, door to my office had a sign that said minister. And I took that off because that, sen- that sends a very poor message. That I'm the one who ministers, and I don't know what the rest of you do, but I'm the important one here. Um, I do have an office, I do have a role, but ministry belongs to all believers. And so uh, one, of the, one of the books we're going to look at uh, quite a bit is Second Corinthians. And I encourage you, read through Second Corinthians. If I could sum up Second Corinthians in a phrase, it is comfort for ministry. Um, That is what Paul uh, really gets at. Because after the scolding that Corinth got in the first book, they needed some comfort in the second one. So let's turn to chapter 1, or chapter uh, 3. We'll be at chapter 1 in a moment. Um, We read this in our intercessory prayer, and I want to fully plug that. Um, You can get up an extra hour early. You you won't regret it, Uh, but you get to hear from and uh, pray with the saints. And so I open us up with this in there, and I want to read it again. Because notice how Paul describes ministry. Paul contrasts the old covenant ministry. Moses given the law. And he says elsewhere that the law only leads to death. It shows us our sin, but there is no life in the law. But in the new covenant, in the spirit, there is life. And this is a ministry of righteousness. And if you are in Christ... You are a minister of that new covenant, in that new covenant, in righteousness. Notice how often Paul uh, brings in ministry here and and contrasts the two. I think this is is helpful for you to know, too, 
the uh, Greek word translated minister, uh, ministry or minister is just service or servant. Same word. Um, and so have that idea. What does it mean to minister? It means to serve Christ, to be a member of his new covenant, and be a witness for his righteousness. Um, let's look at this, beginning in verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. That's not the nature of ministry. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills. That's the old covenant. That's the tablets of stone. But the spirit gives life. Now the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Remember, if you remember the, the story in Exodus, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and he can't look at God's glory, and they can't look at him because his face is shining on the way down the mountain. But Paul says that was coming to an end. That was only limited. One man standing before God as a, a mediator. But there would be another man as a mediator who would stand before God. The glory of his ministry would far surpass the glowing face of Moses. Let's go on. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what has been being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. That is the nature of the new covenant that we sang about just a moment ago in our Church of Christ, Invincible. Um, so it's a ministry of righteousness in Christ, in the Spirit. And if you don't think it's for everyone, uh, let's look at chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. You've probably heard the phrase, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is, that is who we are. That is our identity. That is the reality for Christians. But keep reading. Here's the implication for that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The same us here. The same ones who are reconciled are called to ministry. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's what the gospel is. It is a message of reconciliation. He goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is gospel ministry. God making his appeal through his people and us appealing to the world, be reconciled to God. We are ministers of righteousness and reconciliation. We are servants of righteousness and reconciliation. That's the first point in your notes here. It's also in Ephesians 4, early on we read, he gave the apostles and the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints for work of ministry. 
My job in ministry is to help you do ministry. To give you biblical tools, to give you encouragement. That's what the pastors, the teachers are here for. The whole reason we preach, the whole reason we teach, the whole reason we come together is that you come as the body in this room to go out into the world and do ministry. Ministry is not limited to the four walls. We minister to one another, but we are ambassadors for Christ's reconciliation wherever we are. That is gospel ministry. So that's the first thing I want you to see with the nature of ministry. Um, Also, so this is a two-part sermon, ministry and ministers. Uh, Full transparency, I'm stealing that from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Not preaching and preachers, but ministry and ministers. Here's the second part. Notice that in the last words that we have recorded from the Apostle Paul, like many of his letters at the end of 1 Corinthians, at the end of Romans, he gives a list of his fellow ministers, of his co-laborers. Paul, like Christ, and because of Christ, what are the things that he treasures most? It's not his achievements. It's not his training under Gamaliel. It isn't that he, I mean, he he loved to see Christ face to face. He planted all these these, uh, churches. He got to preach in, in synagogues. It's not his stuff. He doesn't care about worldly things. But what he treasures most is his brothers and sisters, the saints. That is where his heart is, ministry and ministers. I want to look at two uh, texts from Paul, one general for the church and one personal for Titus. Philippians chapter 1. I want you to hear Paul's heart. And so as we read through this text, I want these words to be ringing in your mind. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. Listen to him. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the uh, affection of Christ Jesus. And is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That is the heart of Paul the Apostle. That is what he enjoys and rejoices in. That's uh, generally to the church in Philippi. But now it gets a little more personal. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember last week we talked a lot about crown and, you know, Paul's crown of righteousness. We get to see another piece of his heart here in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. Look at this here. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting 
before our Lord at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Remember last week, verse 8 of um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He has this crown of righteousness laid up for him in heaven. What is the, the, the visible, visceral reminder of that? What is his crown for boasting now? Is it not you? Paul sees the riches of his inheritance right in front of him with the people that he loves and ministers to. That is his crown on earth. So the next point you see in your notes is the most precious bonds are those where Christ is most present. The most precious bonds we have on earth are those relationships where Christ is most present. And right along with that, we will never regret investing in meaningful, godly relationships. They will provide more reward than all the programs, the work, the study, the exercise, anything else you can fill in. All those things will pass away, but there are eternal souls that we get to minister to and see grow. You will never regret those. But I think many will regret that they ran around so busy trying to get all the programs to do all the things, have to read every new book, and fail to love the people who the Lord has put right in front of them. All right, so let's get into our text. We've uh, established a pretty firm foundation, I hope. This is a long text. Um, we're we're going to move kind of quickly. I'm not going to get into great detail and character sketch with each one of these. We're going to look more at the lessons. Uh, just a quick note, if you have a good study Bible, you have a good cross-reference uh, in your Bible, you can uh, look into these, these references more. I've given you some of them, but that's not our purpose. Our purpose this morning is not biological, or biographical, that's the word. Um, it, is, it is relational and is ministerial. I want to see what we can learn from these relationships from Paul. All right, verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescus has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with, uh, uh, with Carpus at Tro- Troas. All, also the books and above all the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of uh, Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as does Pudens and, and uh, Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you have called us by your grace. 
that you have sealed us in your new covenant by your spirit through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That in this room there are saints, men and women who are called to minister in your name, to be ambassadors for your kingdom and your reconciliation. That your righteousness would be seen across the globe. That this would be an encouragement for the family of God. And if there's anyone in this room this morning, would they hear the word, be reconciled to God. Because there is a family ministry, but outside there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And only those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have him as their covenant head. Has him as their intercessor, as their mediator. And it is by his work and in his name that we minister. And in, in his name we pray. Amen. All right, first in verse 9, um, you're going to see this idea of come to me repeated. Um, you're also going to see this uh, movement. This person has come, this person has, has gone. But remember, Paul is here in the last months of his life. He's sitting in a prison in Rome. He's lonely. Paul, never married, never had any children. But from what we can tell in the New Testament, Timothy was his spiritual son. He was the closest thing he had to a father-son relationship. And it was deeper than most father-son relationships. It was a relationship that most fathers and sons wish they had. And he had a special connection to his son in the faith. Remember back in chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. This isn't just that Paul is lonely. He loves Timothy. He wants him to come to him. There is a beauty here. And so the next piece of application you'll see is that ministry, especially vocational ministry, is lonely. It can often be lonely, and we, we should cherish and find our comfort and encouragement from other saints, as uh, Paul did. Second uh, Corinthians, again, is helpful here. Uh, the theme of comfort in ministry comes up again in principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul speaks of, before he gets to the new covenant, he's talking about the nature of the new covenant. The nature of what it means to be in Christ. And he praises God for comfort. Certainly he's drawing on this at the end of his life in prison. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that comes which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a lot of comfort. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, 
you will also share in our comfort. There's the principle. Go to chapter 7. I want you to see the practice and the sweetness of Titus coming to him. Verse 5, chapter 7. For even when we came into Macedonia, this is what Paul was facing. Anyone who thinks ministry is hard in, in America, read Paul or talk to our brothers and sisters across the globe. At every turn, fighting without and fear within. Sign me up for ministry, Paul. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he has comforted, uh, which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. This is why Paul wants Timothy to come. This is why he found comfort in Titus coming. Often, the encourager, the comforter, is the most needed one in ministry. Titus comes to comfort Paul. And he brings encouragements and comfort from the church in Corinth and goes back to give them comfort from Paul. One messenger comforts the, the afflicted minister. And the church who he ministered to in praying for him. This is the grace and the peace of the gospel that makes no sense to the world. This is our ministry. The gospel brings us comfort so we can comfort others. The God of all grace has shed his mercy on us through the blood of his son. We know that nothing can separate us from his love. That anything we face, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, is a light momentary affliction in light of the eternal way to glory. God's grace gives us such peace that passes understanding. We are complete in him. We lack nothing, even in jail, even in affliction, even in persecution. We are comforted. Because the God of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, stooped down, saved us, redeemed us, called us, adopted us, welcomed us in, sealed us. And he left us in the world to be salt and light. The gospel gives us great comfort and great peace, as well as our marching orders. And so, you know, before we go any further, this is our time of year where we're signing up for uh, membership classes. This is a great blessing of membership, another thing that I think has been distorted in the modern world. We're rugged individualists. We're Americans, right? I don't need anyone. I can worship God where I am. I can come and go. I don't need accountability. I don't need anyone else. Christ gave us the church. Christ left us here, left us with the church so that we can have the reminder of the grace and peace, so that we can be that grace and peace and that comfort to one another. You know what Paul desires more than anything? Come to me, Timothy. I need fellowship. I need to be around believers. Because when I see you, I see Christ. Those deep relationships where Christ are present, that is a, the beautiful picture of membership. It's a biblical reality that we are members of one another. And it's a biblical privilege that we get to labor with one another. You don't have to do it alone. Americans are far too comfortable doing it alone. Because we have it too easy. We were persecuted. 
we were facing the afflictions that Paul was facing, we'd be running to the church. We'd do everything we can to hold on to our brothers and sisters and not let go. But it's easy to check in, check out. I checked the box. I went to church on Sunday. I'll see you next week. This is our, this is our family. We are brothers and sisters and mothers and, and fathers in the faith. Sons and daughters. If the church today had the heart for other believers that, that Paul does, what would she look like? How would she serve? How would she minister? I think this is good. This is not in the notes, but I think this is good for us to examine our heart this morning. Do we have the same love and affection for our brothers and sisters? Do we welcome the joy and the pain of ministry or are we so afraid of the pain that we won't let anyone in and we keep everyone else at arm's length but we miss out on the sweet joy that Paul has for Timothy and Titus the other thing in verse 9 here's what's not in the text um, Carter did a great job of drawing a map of Asia which is pretty cool the kids can take home uh, but if you don't understand where things are, are located to get from Ephesus to Rome is a sixth month journey six months one way after everything we looked at in second timothy and first timothy timothy this is what you need to do in ephesus this is what you need to be to be an effective minister here's all the trials that are going to come up here's all the things you need to be aware of come see me take six months off to get here spend a good amount of time with me and then six months back he's telling him to take a year away from his post he told Timothy, endure, fight the good fight, don't give up. But come and see me. Take a year off. Wow. Paul, what are you doing here? What can we learn? Here's what I want you to consider. Without phones, without cars, without planes, communication, travel, it forced them to be patient. They savored the time together. Timothy, when he would travel to Rome, would have six months to read and pray and think about what he wants to say to Paul, all the things he wants to share with him. Even if Paul sends a letter to Timothy, it would still take six months to get there. We're so spoiled. We don't understand how good we have it. We get upset if someone doesn't respond to our text message in ten minutes. Paul says, take a year off and come spend time with me, brother. So, number one, we tend to be impatient. But I'll tell you that quality time happens over time. You can't get quality time in five minutes. You can't get quality time in between Netflix episodes or with your phone in your hand, and I am guilty of that for sure. But imagine if you took six months to travel to go see someone and you get to see them face to face, how much would you savor and appreciate that time together? You would hang on every word they say. Secondly, um, we can often lose sight of people for the tasks ahead of us. A modern Timothy would say, wait, wait a second, Paul, I've got work to do here. I can't take time out of my very important work to come see you. Paul knows his work is important. He just spent two letters telling him how important the work is. But he says, come see me. 
Don't put your tasks in front of the person. And then lastly, for this section, there is great value in young men learning from older men. The wisdom and the instruction that Timothy would get from Paul in Rome, Ephesus would be better off in Timothy getting that instruction than if Timothy was there for a year by himself. There's a lot we can learn from this. All right, that's just verse 9. Uh, we're going to move a lot faster, but I kind of want to set that up. Um, Demas, verse 10. Uh, definitely not the hero of the story. It's interesting, though. Demas was with Paul during his first imprisonment. He was there when he wrote Colossians. He was there when he, when he wrote Philemon. Demas was right there with the Apostle Paul. But now he is in love with the present world. This in the Greek is a fully engrossed love. This is an established and continual love. Is he an apostate? I don't know. It's certainly dangerous. There's a lot of speculation about whether he's in the faith or not. But I want you to know, notice where this is placed. What are we supposed to love in verse 8? This crown of righteousness for not only me, but all those who loved his appearing. The saints are to love the coming of Christ. The saints hope in their eyes. That is our hope. That is our home country. This present world could also be translated age. This present age. This fallen world. This is not where our love and our hope resides. We have a kingdom that is coming. We have a savior that is coming. That's our home. That's our citizenship. That's where our love is. But Demas, we don't know. He loves something about this world. Either his, his uh, fear Maybe he's got a field he's got to plant or an ox he needs to try out first. Um, but it brought to mind uh, Luther's words, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. That is the call to pick up your cross and follow me, to die to yourself. By contrast, Galatians chapter 1 is what Paul says to the church in Galatia. What does the gospel mean for believers right now? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That is what the gospel has done. It has delivered us from the present evil age. We are not to love this age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Romans 8, 18, very similarly. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you go through now is nothing compared to the glory. This, this ministry that looks at a glory that surpasses that of Moses. This is why Christ called us to be in the world. But not of it. We live here, but we're not at home here. We love the Lord. We love our brothers and sisters. We love to see people come to Christ, but we don't love this world. Our hope is not in this world. Because if it is, 
it will draw you away like it did Demas. So practically here, this is the reality, one of the realities in ministry. It is heartbreaking when those you invest in and those you have high hopes for leave. They will. It's bound to happen. But we must let them go and trust them to the Lord's hands because they are truly his. He will discipline them and he will restore them. And this is just the reality of ministry. Many will be discouraged. Many will be distracted. Many will be fearful. Many will be doubtful. Many will have divided affections, just like the thorny soil. They grow up and they get choked out by the fears and the cares of this world. Ministry involves heartbreak. Some are going to leave. But some depart, not desert, like Crescus and Titus. Um, where Paul goes on here to say that Crescus has gone to Galatia, um, Titus to uh, Dalmatia. And um, this also comes with the territory. Your most skilled laborers are going to be needed elsewhere. You have to let them go too. These are the good ones. Why? Because the reality is in ministry that the supply rarely meets the need. I regularly have conversations with churches when pastors when we ask like how can we pray for one another the the consistent concern is we need help we need godly men there's a shortage of faithful laborers the reality is most of the ministry in the church is done by a handful of people i am so glad that it's not the case here part of membership here is that we require and encourage every member to be serving somewhere because you all are given gifts for ministry we'll look at that later but it is hard to find men who will commit themselves to gospel ministry vocationally. And so Paul would have to send his best men out. One of his best men, Luke, alone is, is with me. Luke, the, the physician, the uh, travel companion, the faithful friend, the writer of Luke in Acts. Luke alone is with me. Uh, back in the garden, God said it is not good for man to be alone. That doesn't just apply in marriage. It applies in ministry, too. I'm sure Paul was so grateful that Luke was there. Again, this is why Christ gave us the church. It is not good that we should be alone. So Luke is there with him. Again, the appeal to Timothy, come to me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for, for me for ministry. This is fascinating. Now here's the other side. Mark, who's Barnabas' cousin, Peter's disciple, most likely the gospel writer, he was once a deserter. He caused division between Peter and Barnabas. But now he's restored and he's useful. This is another great reality for ministry. Some may do well and then struggle in their immaturity. And then when they grow, they will again prove themselves useful. This also often happens. Another cool side note. Think about this. That when... Timothy gets Mark and goes to, or picks him up on the way, however it is, and goes to Rome. Paul in the jail cell, them outside of the window, you know, talking through the bars. You have Paul, Luke, and Mark, who wrote over half of the New Testament. So, Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, Acts, the whole Pauline corpus, from Romans all the way to Philemon. More than half the New Testament, these three men sitting together sharing stories about gospel ministry and 
who Christ is. Like, that's a cool place to be. Um, that's just one of those things. If I ever get a time machine right after the Emmaus Road, that's where I'm going. All right, uh, verse 12. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Say that five times fast. Um, who is Tychicus? Tychicus, he is a standout. Um, quickly, these will be up on the screen. Um, Ephesians 6, 21. Look at how Paul speaks about Tychicus. So that you also may know how I am and what, and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This guy in the Christian world, he is a rock star in a good way. Um, so he's sending him to Ephesus. Maybe he carried this, this letter, but he is Paul's trusted messenger. Most think he was sent to hold down the fort while Paul goes to Rome, which would make sense that you have a faithful minister say, no, you stay there for a year so that Timothy can come and see me. So what we learn here in verse 12 is you will rely heavily on the most gifted and the most faithful in ministry. Um, faithful ministers are like a good cast iron pan, like in season, out of season, you can use it for every occasion. You can throw that thing on the ground. Uh, you, can, you can scuff it up. It continues. It's just your, your, your favorite pan. It always works. Verse 13. When you come, again, he reminds them, when you come, bring the cloak. Uh, Paul's a simple man. He has simple needs. Uh, the cloak was a heavy outer garment. Uh, so it's pretty clear why he says in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. I'm cold. Uh, that's, <laughs> there's not much more to that. Um, but you see that Paul is human here. Um, books. Um, this can also mean scrolls. Uh, these, are, uh, these would contain information. Uh, records, we assume that these are the scriptures. Bring my scrolls, bring my, my books so I can read the scriptures. Um, in those days, books were rare and they were prized. No one, uh, very few people carried around a copy of the Bible. And if you had the entire Old Testament, you would need, you'd need a cart you know, to pull it behind you. Uh, you couldn't fit it in your back pocket or in your phone. But none more prized than the Word of God. And so it just got me thinking, we are so spoiled. We have so many books. Most of you have at least two or three Bibles in your house that you never read. A lot of you probably have one you've never touched. And Paul says, bring in six months from now, I look forward to reading my books. Um, made me think of the end of Ecclesiastes, where when Solomon says, when it's all said and done, the wisest man who ever lived, um, there's definitely a, a temptation among theology nerds for sure that, you know, we always have to read the new thing and I need to read this, I need to read this. Verse 11 of chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. Why? Because they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. There are so many good books. I quote them all the time. They're great to read. But 
of the making of many books there is no end. And much study is a wearisomeness, is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Amen. So, Paul has his books and his parchments. There is great debate on the difference between the uh, two of these. Parchments in the Greek is literally membranes. This is stretched out, tanned, and thinned um, animal skins. Uh, These are very durable. They could be reused. And uh, we don't know. Are they they letters? Are they classic writings? Um, But they're often left blank. Books have content and words on them. Parchments could be blank. I tend to think that because these are ideal for writing, Paul wants his books for reading and his parchments so that he continue to write to encourage the church. Those are his priorities. I want to read the word of God and I want to reach out to the saints. Um, Clearly, so just so you know, we're going to handle verses 17 and 18 and 22 next week. So, uh, but clearly, the Lord is his help and his comfort in verse 17 and 18. But God also provides us with every good thing. Like Paul, Paul's eyes are on heaven, but he's still human. He's cold. He wants books. He wants to reach out to the brothers and sisters that he loved. And I love what, what John Stott says about ministry. When our spirit is lonely, we, ha- we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. Um, it's, there's an amazing parallel between Paul's imprisonment and uh, William Tyndale the great translator and um, who went to jail many times for trying to translate the Bible into the modern tongue. 1,500 years later, he wrote this in 1535, right before he was burned at the stake. He wrote this to the Marquis of Bergen, the governor of the castle. Sounds important. Uh, He says, I entreat your lordship and that by the Lord Jesus, that if I must remain here for the winter, you would beg the commissary, commissary to be so kind as to send me from the things of mine which he has a warmer cap because I feel the cold painfully in my head also a warmer cloak for the cloak I have is very thin he has a woolen shirt of mine if he will send it but most of all my Hebrew Bible grammar and vocabulary that I may spend my time in that pursuit all right uh, moving on Alexander the coppersmith All right, since Alexander the Great, this is a very popular name. We don't know who he is. We don't know what he's done exactly. But we do know that he harmed Paul because he opposed the message, because he's against the Lord. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds, because beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed the message. Here's a great lesson. Oppose the message. They will often take personal aim at the messenger. If you speak the name of Christ, if you serve the name of Christ, you will take arrows for Christ. That is guaranteed. But Paul does not seek revenge for himself. Vengeance is the Lord's. Just like the Lord awards the crown of righteousness in verse 8, he will repay the wicked according to his evil or those who oppose the message. I saw this great t-shirt that says, I'm going to let God fix it because if I fix it, I'm going to jail. <laughs> there, is, there, is, there is wisdom in that for, for, for Paul. I could take these things into my hands, but I'm not going to. 
the Lord is much more uh, just than I am. Um, so the next thing here, practically, avoid those who oppose the gospel and warn your brothers of them. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Um, from what we can understand, most likely, uh, there is an initial trial. You know, how do you, how do you plead? And Paul was brought to Rome, and no one from the church of Rome came to stand in his favor. Imagine that. Not very different from the continent of Asia. Verse 15 of chapter 1. Where Paul says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Man. That's pretty sad. Now what was Paul facing in Rome? Christians were often charged as atheists. Because they didn't believe that Caesar was God. They didn't believe in the, in the Roman pantheon. Cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. Disturbers of the peace. Because people love the Lord more than they love the state. Insurrectionists. Because their, their allegiance was to another kingdom. Treasonists. The gospel is always a threat to tyrants. And Paul stood alone. Again, ministry is often lonely. You may be the only one standing for the truth. When things get difficult, there are many fair-weather friends. But there's a great gospel lesson we can learn from Paul here. Because our Savior went to Calvary alone for Paul, Paul could confidently and easily go to trial alone. He could endure suffering for the sake of the gospel that saved him. And so Paul can pray like Christ. May it not be charged against them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The Lord is always gracious toward his people. Praise God for that. Even when we are fearful and stumble, so we should be too. How often has Christ forgives us? He stood alone, and if we were at the cross, we would have been shouting, crucify him, or we would have run the other way. And so Paul can endure alone, and oftentimes believers will. But even if everyone deserts you, verse 17, but the Lord is always our comfort, is always our strength, is always our rescue. And we're really going to lean in there next week, so save that for next week. 19 and 20, um, Prisca and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, you probably know them from Acts 18. Uh, they're the ones who, uh, Apollos is this hotshot preacher, and they kind of pull him aside and, you know, help him understand the gospel more, more fully. Um, and so in 19 and 20 are those who are in Ephesus, or originally from Ephesus. But Priscilla and Aquila are pretty amazing. Um, I want you to see just a couple references to them. Romans 16, verses 3 through 5. They make it in Paul's top list often. You can see why. Romans 16, verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of Gentile give the, uh, of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So probably the church in Ephesus was meeting in their house. He says something similar in the next book to your right, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. 
where Paul says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So here's a great lesson. God has given many in the church the means to host and support the church. Praise the Lord for that. That is a gift. That is a, that is a ministry. Imagine welcoming all the believers into your house every week. Some of you would love it. Some of you would be terrified. Um, the others, uh, the household of um, Onesiphorus, horrible name, fantastic guy. Um, chapter 1, verse, um, I hate saying that name for some reason. Uh, chapter 1, verse 16. This is a great picture of ministry and ministering in the Lord's name and ministering to Paul. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. This guy ministered so well that Paul wants his whole household to be blessed. For he often refreshed me and was not afraid of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he took that six-month journey. He searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. That's another rock star. Just by being a refreshment to Paul, so Paul could write and minister to the churches, the unsung heroes like Anesiphorus, we have the writings of Paul to still encourage us today. Praise God for the faithful servants. Um, we don't know much about Erastus, and uh, Trophimus was originally from Ephesus. He uh, grew up there. That's all we know. Um, but I want to look at one more text. Romans 12, kind of bring all this together. Romans chapter 12 brings together Priscilla and Aquila, Onesiphorus, brings together our talk of membership, our talk of ministry, one of my favorite passages. So a lot of people ask, where is membership in the Bible and um, why do you guys put an emphasis on this? Like, why can't I just come and go? Because it's a biblical pattern. And look at all the gifts for ministry in here. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as in the body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. This is a reference to 1 Corinthians 12. There are arms and hands and elbows and feet, and we all have different functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. If you go through our membership class, that is our definition for membership. In this church, in this body, we are one in Christ, members of one another. What does that look like? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. God has given us gifts. He's given gifts to every believer, and they're different. But we are to use them. Here's how they're different. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And continue reading the rest of the chapter. It's that beautiful Christian maturity. This is the church, brothers and sisters. There's a short list there. The list keeps going. Whether you are an encourager, whether you serve, whether the Lord has blessed you financially, whether you have a, a teaching gift, the body needs all of you. The body benefits from all of you. That's what we are called to. 
That's why we as elders are here, to equip you for ministry. Because you all have ministry to do. All right. Um, yeah, so the two lessons there, God has give, given many means to host and support the church. God has given many gift of encouragement and service. They are also a great min- blessing in ministry, and we praise the Lord for them both. Um, lastly, verse 21, um, do your best to come before winter. Uh, Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Basically, hey, the church of Rome says hi. Even though they, they abandoned me at my trial, I still love them. Uh, we don't know anything about any of them except that history tells us that uh, Linus was the bishop of Rome after Peter. Bishop just means overseer. Um, he w- didn't have the pointy hat. It just he was he was uh, the the uh, presiding elder in in Rome. Um, I do want to close and ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter sixty one. So hopefully all the practicality w- was helpful, but I want to bring this home. I want to connect the ministry of Christ to our ministry. And this is a beautiful text that is fulfilled in the church. A a prophecy of the Messiah and the people who would minister in his name. Isaiah 61, if you know the context, this is the first text that Jesus reads in Luke 4. He stands up in his ministry and he says, at your hearing, this prophecy is fulfilled. Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, Messiah. I am the anointed of the Lord. What has he anointed me for? Look at the twos here. Give us purpose. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. Gospel. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Is that literal? Yes. Is that spiritual? Absolutely. To bring good news to the poor. To uh, bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and open the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of God. To comfort all mourn, who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness, uh, of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's sum all that up. The ministry of Jesus is to proclaim the good news. Those who are captives, let me just give that away, it's, it's not the guy in shackles. It's those who are captive to sin. The good news is that you, will no, you are no longer broken. You are healed in Christ. The good news is you are no longer captive to darkness and to sin. The good news is you, are, you have liberty and freedom in him. The good news is he opened up the prisons to those who are bound. The good news is this is the year of the Lord's favor. God is with us. And it's also a day of vengeance. Because it is a proclamation to those who oppose the Lord. Your day is coming. This is your defeat at the cross. But this also means comfort to those who mourn. And granting to those who mourn a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. This is what Jesus' ministry did and and does. Those who mourn over their, their, their sin. Those poor in spirit have a beautiful headdress 
instead of ashes, the oil of gladness. They will be called oaks of righteousness. You ever try to cut an oak with an axe? It is solid. Those roots are deep. It's not going anywhere. Oaks of righteousness. This is what Jesus does. He takes prisoners, those broken and bound in their sin, and makes them oaks of righteousness. And then what will they do? They'll do it for for his glory. Verse 4. They, this is the ministry of restoration and, and, and reconciliation. They will build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. God will be restoring the world, beginning with Christ and through us, making all things new. This is the ministry that we are called to. The, 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 the nations will serve the benefit of the church. Verse 5, strangers shall tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your, your plowmen and your vine dressers. Also, every tongue, tribe, and nation are going to serve in Christ's field with his sheep, are going to plow his field in, in his, and be his vine dressers. And what are those ministers? What are those righteous oaks, those, those previous prisoners? They are called priests of the Lord. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We're a nation of priests. And they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. This is what Christ has called us to. This is what Christ has done for us. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. We praise God when the nations come to faith in Christ. We praise God when the gospel goes out. That is our boast. That is our crown. When the nations glorify God, we get to rejoice and boast in what Christ has done. And what do we receive? What is the benefit of the church? Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Amen. Don't forget the everlasting riches and the joy we have in Christ. We're going to get ready to approach the table in a moment. This table is for his ministry. This table is for his servants. This table is for the nation of priests, the righteous oaks who are covered with the righteousness of Christ. So I'll give you a few moments to prepare your hearts. Uh, the deacons will bring the elements, and then I'll lead us to the table.